So let's take our Bibles now and open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for your grace. You're so good. So, so good. All my days, you've been faithful. All my days, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. But I have nothing to boast of. We have nothing to boast of except the grace of God. And we have no good news for any man or any woman except the goodness of God. And so I pray now, Lord, as we study 2 Peter 3, understanding Peter's heart, his heritage, that he had seen you up close and personal. You'd gifted him, you'd directed him, you'd corrected him, you'd instructed him, you'd saved him. Not just once or twice, you kept saving that boy. So he would sink in the waters. He would put his foot in his mouth again. As he'd say silly things. As he'd try and quit the ministry that Jesus Christ had appointed him to, you wouldn't let him go. And I thank you, Jesus, that that's the same love you have toward us. So would you have your mercy upon us today, Lord, as we gather, as we study, as we consider these things. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So have your way in as we pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As we now read 2 Peter 3, it's three chapters long. Peter begins chapter one as an older man. We'll call him Grandpa Pete. And he's got a heart of love for God, a heart of love for his savior, and a heart of love for his flock. He's there positioned outside of Jerusalem. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's off his path on mission, and he's been arrested, incarcerated, and sentenced to death. And so Grandpa Pete tells his church and calls them this special name. Look at verse 1. It says, Beloved. Chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved. Beloved, he says, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which, the first and the second, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Stop right there and eyes up here. I want you to really settle into the emotional text of what Peter is facing. Peter loves the church. He loves his savior. He loves the mission. He's not been a perfect man. He's one of the greatest people that you and I can learn from because he was hand-selected by Jesus Christ himself. He was trained and educated with a three-year bachelor's degree with Jesus Christ himself. And yet, even though Jesus hand-selected him and Jesus trained him, Peter himself failed miserably. Peter misstepped. Peter came up short. In the time that Jesus, dare I even say it this way, in the time that Jesus needed Peter most, Peter was nowhere to be found. And yet God, who chose Peter, trained Peter, would not let Peter go, and rescued Peter, pursued Peter, restored Peter, commissioned Peter, and maybe you're here today watching online or sitting with us in the sanctuary and you would say, man, I'm so thankful that the Lord chose me. I can't believe he chose me. You know, I, he got the short end of the stick. Some of you guys still think Jesus chose you because it was an upgrade to his team. 
He chose you because no one else would. You ever been last picked on the team? You know what I'm saying? He's like, I pick you, you know, come with me. He chose you. Chose you. Because he's a chooser. He chooses. He's loving. He's gracious. It's not you that reciprocate that love or earn that love or God scanning the earth. It's like, dude, look at that guy. That guy's beard is so legit. <laughs> hey, Gabriel, should we get that guy? What do you, you know? No, no. And so we learn from Pete, who knew the grace of God. And so in chapter one, he calls us the beloved as well. And he tells us, guys, God's blessed you, saved you. Now add to your faith. Get, get serious. Take this seriously. This is so good. This is so good. And in chapter two, the, the tone changes. We were in chapter two for, for two weeks, last week and the week prior, and there were some words that Peter used to describe the rest of the people. He called them pigs that love to be muddy. Even after you clean them, they just jump right back in the mud. He called them dogs that puke everywhere and then go back and eat their puke. And this is what he called other people that don't look at Jesus right. He called them wells without water and blemishes, clouds that pass by and only bring darkness. They don't bring any refreshing. Everybody else on the outside, not everybody's your friend. And Peter was kind of tough, man. If you miss those two sermons, you're like, glad I missed the dog vomit sermon, you know. Maybe you need to go download it, though. Because Grandpa Pete's serious. Dude, it's nuts out there. 22 verses and 14 derogatory descriptions of people outside the flock of God. Wolves, savage wolves coming in. Heretics, false teachers, false prophets, big time stuff. And then he ends it talking about somebody who vomits and eats it. And that's like the end of chapter two. Like what? No happily ever after? No, dog eat vomit ever after. That's it. That's what you get. And then chapter three. Beloved, I now write to you this my second epistle, both of which were intended to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm writing again. Hey, Grandpa Pete, didn't you already write us? Yeah, I did. I did. It was awesome. It was an encouragement. My, my first epistle was an encouragement to you in times of difficulty and persecution and government unrest and political corruption and all kinds of rioting and all kinds of uh, all people getting unemployed and, and diseases and all kinds of things that you guys can't relate to, I'm sure. But all these things, you know. Wasn't it awesome we finished? I think we finished Revelation and went into 1 Peter. Like right in the middle of pandemic, it was so good. The Lord just knew, he's like, you're gonna need this because Pete knows what it's like to be troubled. And his idea and his intent was to stir us up. I like how he uses that word beloved, though. Kind of a silly word for a fisherman. Not a silly word for a grandpa. When a grandpa looks at his kids, or even better yet, his grandkids, he says, oh, my beloved. Not just my beloved, but the Lord's beloved. He loves you. He used that same word, beloved, which means well-loved. He used that word twice in five chapters of his first epistle. In his second epistle, only three chapters, and he uses it six times. Three times as much. And I think it's important because Peter knew he was about to die, and maybe he could question that reality and say, kind of don't feel loved right now kind of loves an interesting flavor right now. And maybe you in your life, 
when times are difficult, you question the love of God. Don't sit there all stoic, it happens. Maybe in times you question the goodness of God. Doesn't take much, just turn on the TV, look around, check your bank account, answer the call when the doctor rings your phone, look around, and your circumstances, okay, they will change in an instant. At the conference we were at, at the final day we took communion together. And, and I can't remember her name, maybe it's Cindy, I can't remember. It was Pastor Rory Rogers' mom. She got up right in the middle of communion, came down, and so Pastor Rob gave her the microphone. And the whole message given by Ed Taylor was on the goodness of God, and the whole weekend. And she came up on stage and she said, you know, next week is the anniversary of my husband's death. Pastor Rory's dad, Pastor Rory was leading worship. And when my husband died and when Rory's dad died, we questioned the goodness of God. It just, it, how, I know God's good, but it, I don't sense it. I don't feel it. I'm not experiencing it right now. And she said God met her in those times. She couldn't even audibly say this when she shared with us and said, God's goodness isn't a feeling. It's his character. It's just who he is. Regardless of your feelings, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your goodness. It was so powerful. And here's Pete, Grandpa Pete. He's about to die. Beloved. Why would you call us that? Because you're loved. You're well loved. Not just by God, not just, you're loved. And when you know you're loved, what comes out of your life, what you do, how you respond, how you navigate the ups and downs and the circumstances. You ever sleep in a fifth wheel? I have. A borrowed fifth wheel, in case you're curious. I'm gonna sleep in it tonight. Not well. The other night I, I woke up and I just couldn't sleep all night. And I woke up and the Lord was impressing on my heart so much the greatest commandment. And it was like one of those lucid, deep, convicting, life-changing grasp, just me, I don't know if it fits anybody else, that the greatest commandment, it's, it's a, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. And the Lord was just kind of impressing, says Luke, all the other law and the prophets hinge on this commandment. It's all. And the Lord was kind of speaking. He's like, Luke, all your problems, every single one of them are solved with one commandment. It's so important, Luke, that you really love me, that you, it's not a burdensome command. It's not a heavy-duty rule. It's not 685 commands like there are in the Old Testament. Like, oh man, I can't believe I ate some shrimp. I'm unclean, you know? One rule, love God. Because in, in so doing, you really can't act like a fool. You really can't offend God. You really won't be offensive or stumble anyone else if you're truly walking near and dear to the Father, loving him. 
It's so powerful, your love. And that love, the Bible says that the love of Christ compels us, that his love for us is what motivates us to love him back. You ever see your kids just act like cuckoo heads? And you're thinking, dude, I love, I, what are you doing? I invited you into my house. I'll kick you out, you know. I'm just kidding. I got one nose back there. Oh, man. You love your kids. I mean, how much, how much do you love your kids, even on, on, on like your best day? Like, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And really, all you're looking for and all you need, and, and, all, and what would be fantastic is if your kids just loved you back at, at that same level. I mean, it'd be nuts. It'd be nuts. Wouldn't that be crazy? And God says, I want you to love me the same way I love you. How much joy and bliss and fun would there be in your home if it was just full of love? And yet what happens is, is we find ourselves walking in strife, walking in selfishness, walking in sinfulness. And I think Peter reminds us here, and six times throughout his three letters, right before he dies. Guys, you're loved. You're well loved. Because if you know you're well loved, and you remind others that you're well loved, it's gonna change the way you live. We need to be reminded, look at verse one, he says, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. This idea of stirring people up. We've all sat around campfires before, I was recently doing that, and, and in a fire is burning bright, you've seen this before, and eventually it needs to be stirred up. Eventually the logs need to be rotated and brought closer together and, and even fueled for that campfire to do what it's intended to do, which is to make you warm and to not produce a bunch of smoke. You ever been, you know, smoke follows the most holy people I find, just it was all over the place. And Peter says, you need to be stirred up. You're just like this fire. You're just like your phone, which needs to be plugged in. You're just like your car, which needs to be gassed up. You're just like your well, which needs to be refilled. We just run out, don't we? We need to be stirred up. This is why I love Sunday this morning. We gather at 8.30 uh, every Sunday morning, and we pray for our services, for the services in our area, other churches. And the third thing we pray for is people who don't yet know Jesus. We're praying constantly for people who don't know Jesus here in Lincoln County. This is important to us because we see a bunch of people in Lincoln County that don't yet know Jesus. They don't go to church here. They don't go to church at the Naz. They don't go anywhere. And yet God has you in their lives, and that's legit. And as much as we love to be here on Sunday, we're not going to stay here the rest of the day. I'm going to kick you guys out in a few minutes. You're going to go out to the harvest. We pray that God would stir us up. And, and this morning, I was just so thankful to be here. I needed to be fueled. I needed to be stirred up. This isn't uncommon. This is, maybe you're feeling low and you're feeling drained. We do this in everything, whether it's academics, you need to be stirred up. Nobody shows up to a school without a professor that's there to stir them up. A, a, a dean and, and an administrator, they're there on purpose. Athletes, professional athletes have coaches and trainers to stir them up, to hold them accountable, get them going. People who are smart in finances and finances and rich people look to other rich people for inspiration and for direction. And people who aren't rich look to Dave Ramsey, like, help me. You know, and we're all looking for somebody to stir us up. You go to the gym, you hire a personal trainer, you go there, tell me what to do. I need accountability. And Peter says, I wrote both letters to stir you up, to strengthen you. I just encourage you, if you, if you feel like you're burning low, Okay, don't, don't beat yourself up, get stirred up. 
Get stirred up. Trust the Holy Spirit. I've been seeing this all week long. Every single group I get to, it's either uh, the staff and their wives and spouses and kids or this group of pastors all over Oregon, about 200 of us gathered there. It was so fun to just let the Holy Spirit stir us up. Wouldn't it be funny if you did that in your life group, just showed up, hey, what's going on? What's the Holy Spirit showing you right now, Pam? What's going on in your life? What's, what's God showing you? What, what are you going through right now, Don? What's happening and what's challenging? The Holy Spirit's stirring us up and we need to be encouraged and exhorted in this way. And Peter says, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir you up. Your, your pure minds, he says. I think that's an interesting compliment. See, Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to believers who have been given a new mind, a new nature, a new desire, a new direction, a new source. Don't raise your hands too high. But how many of you guys struggle with this whole pure mind idea? Like, I got some good stuff, but man, every once in a while, something gets through the filter. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. And you need to be stirred up and get that mind renewed. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, be renewed. Stir it, Lord, stir me up. I get so dirty sometimes. I get so silly. Ah, it happens to everything. Academics, finances, fitness, relationships, spirituality. What happened? What happened? There's no fuel. There's, hey, read the book. Get in. By way of reminder, verse one, he says, I'm just reminding you of stuff. This makes it so fun as a pastor, by the way. One of the temptations as a, as a communicator, as a pastor and a teacher is to come up with really fancy ways to teach and communicate and, and make sure you guys are growing in knowledge. And one of the temptations is, is to make sure that you guys think I'm super smart and I'm reading books and I'm listening to sermons and I'm learning stuff and you guys leave here and say, man, Pastor Lou, that guy's sure smart. And it's a carnal temptation. It's not, it's not the goal. The real goal of a pastor, a communicator, a teacher, a mom or a dad is to stir up the people you love and are leading by way of reminder, that stuff they already know. I'm gonna teach you stuff you don't know because Lincoln County is not that hard. Next day, that's funny. Some of you are like, what's that mean? You'll, you'll figure it out at lunch. <laughs> pastor Luke's mean. No, I'm not. <laughs> but what you need, what I need, Okay, it's not something new and fancy. I don't need to know a bunch of new stuff. What I do is I need to know the old stuff. Listen, real well. It's not a matter of what you know. It's a matter of how well you know what you know. Because when you get to the battlefield and things go crazy and your marriage is on the rocks and your business is on the rocks and your health is on the rocks, you're not gonna be reading some new fancy book. You're gonna be going to the foundation. What do I know? What do I know? What do I know? What's good? What, what do we got? What, baseline, what do we know? Okay, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, all right. He's gonna work all things together for good, okay. Nothing formed against me shall prosper, all right. He's never gonna leave me nor forsake me. He's gonna finish what he began. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, these are the promises of God, Woo. Oh, all right. How's it going this way? Real bad, real bad. House is on fire, everything's on fire, body's on fire, it's all gonna burn. We're gonna see that in chapter three, it's all gonna burn. <laughs> Peter says it like three or four times, he's like, it's all gonna burn. Like, you guys saw the fireworks in Toledo last night? I didn't, but you're gonna see some one day. It's all gonna burn, it's gonna be great but I wanna remind you of the things. I wanna remind you. Martin Luther, the great reformer in the year 1500 or so, he said the gospel, it's the baseline. 
God's goodness for sinful man. He said the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most important is it that we know this doctrine well. Teach it to others and constantly beat it into their heads. Martin Luther. Because you and I forget and we need to be reminded of the gospel, the basics. Sometimes we want to leave the elementary things and find other truths and Peter will actually exhort us if you want to take the time today. We're not going to go very far today, evidently. Peter will exhort us and say to us, read the Old Testament. He'll say it in this chapter. He'll say, read the epistles. He'll say it. He'll actually say, read Paul's writings. Get in the book. Figure it out. You ever read Paul before? Make sure you take Advil, then read Paul. (laughs) Peter even says, some of the stuff Paul says, it's hard to understand. Not impossible, just hard. Get a commentary. Figure it out. Go to iTunes and type in Romans, South Beach Church. The greatest epistle, I believe, ever written. Romans. We taught through it years ago. Change your life. How? By stirring you up. By reminding you. Verse 2. He says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Stop right there, eyes up here. Verse two, he says, I'm stirring you up by way of reminder that you may be mindful. I've got that word boxed out in my Bible. That you might be aware, that you might be engaged of the Old Testament prophets, prophecies, and promises, and that you might be aware of the epistles and the gospels and all the things we said to you in order that you might know what's going on. It's it's so cool. Nothing new under the sun. If Pastor Peter were teaching today, Grandpa Peter, He would say, oh, where's your five-by-five reading program? I'm going to give it to somebody. I want to make sure you're reading the Bible. Know the prophets. Know the promises. Know the prophecies. Know the scriptures. Stay in the word. That's the only way you're going to find yourself not running out of steam and not veering off course is by staying in God's word. And when you find yourself going through those dark times, I just feel like I'm being disciplined right now just feel like I'm being, I don't know, I feel like God's just kind of peeling back some layers. Did you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12? It says that God disciplines those whom he loves. That's cool. How many of you guys love being disciplined? Raise both your hands. <laughs> nobody. Because it says Hebrews 12, nobody loves to be disciplined. That's what it says, nobody loves it. It's not fun. But the end, peaceable righteousness and fruit. Do you know the character of God that he's for you, not against you? That the greatest commandment is to love him? Why? Because in that is pure joy. It's perfection. All of the other, it's, it's all in the book. You and I, we need to be reminded of the, bless you, of the simplest things. And I want you guys to see a few maybe principles that we can glean from Peter. See, Peter is instructing us in the ways of God's goodness, reminding us that we are beloved, stirring up our pure minds. And he's telling us essentially that what we really need to do is know the Bible and what it says and know that we're the beloved. Isn't that cool? Chapter one, he tells us that. Chapter three, he tells us that. In chapter two, he gives us a strong warning, okay? I don't even say that the words he uses are tough. And what Peter demonstrates for us is a leadership principle we all need to be aware of, and it's being tender, okay, but also being tough. Moms, dads, leaders, it's important that you do these things well, that you know how to be tender. You know how to get down 
to eye level with the people you're instructing. You know how to get to eye level with your kiddos, grandkids and kids, that they might know your tenderness. But don't shy away from the toughness that is necessary to be a good mom, to be a good dad, to be a good pastor, to be a good leader. We need both, tough and tender, not one without the other. And I love how Peter starts his epistle in chapter one, also calling us the beloved, telling us to get back into the book. He's earning our hearts. He's opening up our hearts. Listen, so that way he can open up our ears. People don't care how much you know until they... People don't care how much you know. don't care until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know. Another principle you can write down or just consider is connect before you correct. Connect with people. I'm not very good at this. I'm real good at correcting and hoping in my correcting I connect. <laughs> Whoops. Connect before you correct. Be, be tough and tender. One thing I learned years and years ago, and most of you know this, this method, is, is the sandwich method, where you compliment somebody. You, you see something good, you're, you connect with them. Hey, man, I see you just show, you're doing so good, and, and you're always faithful in this area, and, you're, and it's so good, you're so strong here. Hey, 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 however, however, this, this area over here is a little out of order, and I think if we do this, this might work, and, and because what, what I see is such a good thing happening over here, and you, you, you compliment, and you correct, and you compliment, you put it together in this sandwich, and the person leaves super confused, you know, and wanting to move forward, feeling, I feel super loved, but like I'm in trouble, you know. That's what happens when you read the Proverbs. Like, man, I just feel like God's so good and I got some stuff to work on. And Peter does that for you and he does that for me. He helps us to understand. Some of you guys are just too tough all the time. People don't come to you because they don't see a tenderness. They don't see a a love. They don't see a commitment and openness. Some of you, though, are are too tender. There's not enough toughness. It's a fine balance. It takes an anointing. It takes a purpose. It takes real... Dare I say it this way, it takes real love. Have you ever had somebody correct you? And in the end, or when it's all done, you're like, dude, that must have not been easy. I've had some, some guys over the years pull me aside, take me out to lunch, and midway through lunch, ask me some real hard questions. And even to this day, my respect for those men, the care I received from those men, the appreciation, thank you for holding me accountable. Thank you for asking me those hard questions. I kind of just like to hope everything works out. You ever do that before? See a Facebook post? Man, they're going crazy. Hope everything works out, you know? <laughs> See something here. That doesn't look good. Hope it works out. And the Lord says, no, I want you to connect. Verse two, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He says, guys, have it on your mind. Joshua 1.8, my wife and I memorized that verse many years ago. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall be meditate day and night for in it you'll find your way prosperous and successful. That you're gonna walk in, in, in power. Wow, by having God's word on your mind. You need your mind, you got it. People say sometimes, it's funny. You go to South Beach Church? Man, there are a bunch of brainwashed people over there. <laughs> and to that I say amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Our brains have been washed. We're, cl- we're cleansing our brain. A new mind, man. Amen. If your brain hasn't been washed, it's probably dirty, you know. <laughs> you get it, right? Anyways. Some people say we're a cult too. How's that place a cult? I'm like, we're not a very good cult. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> We're not very organized. Cults are usually more organized than we are. Why should we do that? Why should we, why should we stir each other up, guys? Pastor Pete, Grandpa Pete, why should, why should we stay in the word? Why should we do this? Because look at verse three. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep long time ago and from every time we've ever known, man, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Stop right there, eyes up here. Why should we stir each other up? Why should we be in the word? Why should we be mindful of these things? Because scoffers are gonna come and they're gonna mock what you believe. Now let's just not do us, them so quick. I believe that scoffing, mocking, cynicism, Okay, it for sure happens out there, does it not? Have you not watched late night talk show hosts and, and talking heads and, and, and people about our faith? Have you seen this before? People condescending, you're a Christian? Wow, okay, crazy. You know, and, and, and they mock you. But have you ever also sensed this temptation of cynicism, sarcasm, mockery in your own heart? Everyone got super, super serious. Not today, you know. How? How does that happen? Look, look what he says. Verse three, is, there's a key, there's a key uh, understanding here. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. How, wh- wh- why? What's going on? Walking according to their own lusts. This is, in, this is insightful. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things that are anti-Christ and anti-God's mission that will lead you and lead others to be mockers, to be scoffers, to be those that aren't interested or taking serious the things of God. It happens at a maximum level on the outside in unbelievers' lives. It's, what they, it's who they are, okay? That is, that, that is, they're living their lives for the lust of the flesh. They don't know any other way. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, it's just no, there's no difference. They're not born again, they're not saved. And so within that mindset comes scoffery and mockery. Cynicism and sarcasm. Like, and here, here's why. It's so, it's so sinister. Because they say, it's always been this way. You Christians are so wacky. Y'all are talking about the end of the world. You've been talking about that since the day Jesus rose from the dead. 2,000 years. Where's his coming? Jesus isn't coming. You say Jesus is coming. Jesus, I'll give him 30 seconds. And they mock you and they scoff, and here's why. Because they want to preserve and protect their lust. They, when you believe that Jesus is coming, when you believe that there is a kingdom, when you believe that there is a God and you're not him, okay, you immediately fall into a covering of what we call accountability, okay? You're not God, you have a standard. You can't just follow your lust your desires, your ways. There is a God who decides what's right and wrong. And we live in the fear of the Lord. That is the respect and honor of one who knows better than us. If you don't have that canopy, that covering, that conviction, the lust of the flesh is taken over. <laughs> I'm not about to believe in your God because the minute I believe in your God, I'm accountable to somebody. Now you who know the shepherd's voice, you know that that accountability, okay, when you're a sheep and he's the shepherd, you're an orphan who's been adopted and he's now your father. You have a home. 
He's paid for you. He's loved you. He's preparing a place. He's coming back for you. This isn't a bad thing. The the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, John tells us. This is amazing. To believe in the coming of Jesus both gives me hope for what is to come. It gives me accountability. It gives me a plumb bob in the direction I want to walk straight and not get out of balance. Scoffers and mockers and cynics and critics. By the way, again, I want to include us both because it's easy to look at the big bad world out there, isn't it? All the Christ haters, all the church haters, all the Jesus haters. Be, be careful, though. If you find yourself walking in cynicism, sarcasm, mockery, and scoffery, to any degree at all, it's directly tied to your lust. Just the flesh, the stuff. It's not rocket science. It's not like, oh, why am I such a jerk right now? Well, probably some flesh problems. Why am I being such a cynic? Why am I being such a critic? Why am I being so mean and so harsh right now? And, and, and if you're a believer, though, here's the beautiful thing. It, it, you, can, you can correct that almost instantaneously by turning your affection back towards Jesus Christ, by being stirred up. See, the world that is not saved and has not been regenerated and born again has not that resource, has not that power and ability to be instantaneously corrected, to be filled, to be directed. Peter says, hey, church, writing to you guys, it's going to be gnarly out there. There's going to be haters in the midst. Haters going to hate. And what they're going to say is, is the Lord said he's coming back. You say he's coming back. I just checked. Don't look like he's coming back. And here's why they so willingly say that. Look at verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning. For this, Peter says, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What Peter says is, is, The men and women, by the way, let's include ourselves in that, that walk in mockery and scoffery and smallness, they willfully forget what God has already declared, what God has already done. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever willfully forgot what God said to do or not to do? To follow the lust of your flesh? I know God said not to do this, but I'm just gonna do it once, maybe twice. Really? Wow, how's that going to go for you? Probably not bad, you know. Probably not bad. I got it figured out. I'm a pretty smart guy. Really? Has anybody else willfully forgot what God said he was going to do and then reap the consequences? I don't know. I'm not worried about it. And what Peter's referencing here is the people of Noah's day. That God spoke to Noah and to the people. Just 1,500 years after Genesis 1, it wasn't that long when the people rebelled and went crazy. Just 1,500 years in, God says, I'm starting over. Reset, redo, reboot. Here we go. And people willfully ignored him. Say, nah, it ain't true. And the declaration from Noah was, well, you know, it's going to rain. Well, number one, what's rain? Scholars believe that it hadn't rained up until that time. There had been no rain that the earth's canopy historically, the water canopy was what kept the sun rays at bay and made certain things work differently in the agricultural and the water came from the ground and all these things. 
and it hadn't happened yet. And so they, what, what, what rain? And so Noah, by faith, began to build the ark and craft the ark, and they willfully forgot and ignored and pushed aside what God had said he was gonna do. And what happened? It began to rain. And immediately, they were all believers. Everyone knocking on the door. Let us in, Noah, you know. And the Bible says that God brought Noah in the ark. And have you read this? Genesis 6 through 9. The Bible says that God shut the door. And Peter's saying, guys, hey, 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 guys. It happened once by a flood. Did you know that every single historical ethnic people group has within their history a great flood narrative? Some oral story, some tradition, some hieroglyphics. Everyone's talking. It happened. The whole world flooded. Peter references it right here. He says, they willfully forget, verse five, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. As a matter of fact, they believe that the continents were bridged together by land masses. Some people call it Pangea, where everything came together. That world that existed then, it perished, man. Not just the people, but the way that it was all put together. It happened. And so Peter now says, Verse seven, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire. Those two words, man, they've been sticking out to me, preserved and reserved. Preserved and reserved. Peter says that God has preserved the world from fire, but there is a reservation for fire. Do you know the Bible says that all things that exist, exist through God in his word? This is important for you guys who are believers who want to know what to do with your life moving forward and how excited to get about God's word. The Bible says that God actually created the world through preaching God's word. God said, let there be light and there was light. Hebrews chapter 11, verse three says that all the worlds exist through God's word. And if you want life to exist in your life or in your marriage or in your kids, it comes through preaching, understanding, knowing, reading, and believing God's word. All things, everything came from nothing out of God's word. Colossians chapter one, verses 16 and 17 says that God holds all things together. This is, we're pretty smart, aren't we? Figure some stuff out, put a telescope on a telescope, saw some stuff. Put a spaceship on a spaceship, like we're going super far. We're gonna go to Pluto, take a picture, selfie, you know. And God says, yeah, I put all that there like in a thought. And there's more out there you'll never even discover. Oh, and I hold it all together. And the more we double click on our pictures and the more we don't use a, a telescope, we'll use a microscope. We're like, wow, it looks like it's crazy. And you get really close, it gets even crazier. You know? And the atoms and the molecular structure and all the stuff in there. And as you get in there, the atoms and the protons and the neutrons, and they're all spinning around, flying around each other. And scientists have discovered and realized, wow, there's a lot of space in there. And somehow it's all just held together like there's no real reason. And they actually came up with a term years ago that holds everything together. They call it, does anybody know? Atomic glue. Let's call it atomic glue. Well, what is it? We don't know. Well, is it even there? We're not sure. Well, what's holding everything together, Mr. Scientist? I don't know. Atomic glue, okay? I'm not kidding. It's just glue. <laughs> 
like molecular structure. We're talking re- reconstruction of the body. Crazy, miraculous stuff in Colossians 1. Hebrews 11 says that through God's word, he made everything and holds everything together. And Peter will see, and you'll read this later, maybe in your life, you read the rest of the chapter. Peter says at one point, God's going to let go of everything. And with fervent heat, atomic level energy, where atoms are separated, the entire world will be burned up. It once was purified through a flood. Not again. The next purification will be fire. Well, how's it staying together? It's preserved. Why? What's going on? It's reserved. For what? For the day of judgment. Peter goes on, and we'll begin with some of these verses. I'm leaving a lot on the table here. But in verse 7, he says, the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word. They are reserved until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Stop right there, eyes up here, final thoughts. You get this, don't you? God has declared, I will start over, reboot, reset, redo. When, Lord? Not yet. Why not, Lord? Because I'm slow. But not the same way you count slowness. When we count somebody as being slow, hey, you want to hire this contractor? They're good, but they're just slow. Want to hire this worker? He's just slow. What's wrong with traffic in Newport on 101? It's slow. (laughs) But not the same slow that you think. See, slow implies imperfection, aloof. You don't know what you're doing. You just, I don't know what's going on. I'm just slow at what I do. God says, I'm not slow, I'm patient. What patient implies is that God is good at what he does. And he does it right the first time. And what God is doing right now, this time we're in, it's preserved. It's preserved. Why? So people might be saved. It's reserved for fire. It's gonna happen. This is offensive, by the way, to some people. Well, what we need to do is just correct global warming. It's gonna get real hot. I recycle, okay? I'm into it. God says, no, I'm gonna start over. What? God says, it's not going well. And, and most of us would agree, like, how's it going? Is everything gonna work itself out? <laughs> I don't think so. Is it getting better out there? Should we let God do a redo? I think we should let God do a redo. He's patient. He's going to redo it. It's just a declaration. So what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why are you here? The church has been asking Jesus Christ, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, would you return? Peter's gonna tell us as we continue past these verses that we look to and hasten the day. That means the more you anticipate and want Jesus to return, it comes quicker. You hasten the day, we want Jesus. But why isn't Jesus returned? Because until judgment day comes, harvest day is now. Guys, 
Today's the day of salvation. What in the world's going on? It's all going to burn. Your house, your stuff, your cool things, that's going to be some cool kindling that you bring to the wood pile. I'm remodeling my house right now, Pastor Luke. That's kindling. That's good kindling. Good job. And so what matters most to the Lord is people. And so what matters most to us should be people. Nothing wrong with having stuff. We all have stuff. But what matters most is what matters most to God. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, his second letter, they didn't like him. I don't know if you know the context. They were mad at him. Somebody had stirred up some rumors about Paul. Somebody wrote a blog and posted some stuff on the internet and leaked some out-of-context YouTube videos about Paul. And so Paul wrote him. He's like, guys. And he defended himself a little bit and exhorted them. And in chapter six, chapter six, he gives this great exhortation. Today's the day. Don't get caught up in silly stuff. The Lord's coming back. Don't get swept away. Harvest time will continue until judgment time. That's why we're here. That's what's going on. That's why God is stirring us up. That's why it's getting darker that the light might shine brighter in these days. That's what's happening. And we get so confused about the government and about the vaccines and about this pandemic and about this injustice and all these things that are happening. God sees it all. He knows. He knows. And, Paul, and Peter says, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. To do what, Pete? Don't forget the prophecies. Don't forget the promises. Don't forget what Paul said. Don't forget. Because everything is preserved, but there is a reservation. Father, I pray in Jesus' name now as we let you stir us up right now in the middle of summer, it's July 25th or something, that in Jesus' name you would have your mercy upon us, Lord, forgive us of our sins, the church. Lord, may we be like that first century church that would receive Grandpa Pete's letter. May we re receive it even today and say, oh, Lord, you love us. You love us, you love us, you love us. Forgive me, Lord, for forgetting that, for walking contrary. And may you, Lord, use us with that same desire. Stir us up, Lord. Maybe you're here this morning. Would you just, and if you need to be stirred up, if that's you, if you need to be stirred up by way of reminder, knowing that scoffers are in the midst, knowing it's going to be harder for you, knowing it's not going to be, maybe you're married to a scoffer. It's just hard right now. And you need to be stirred up that you might come under that man or that woman and love them in Jesus' name and not give up. It's not a separation here. It's not staying away from the people, the big bad world. This is harvest time. And God wants you to put your helmet on. God wants you to use your shield. God wants you to sharpen your sword. Last week, the message was titled, Bring Your Bible to the Battle. This week, the message is titled, Die With Your Boots On. And if you need help in that area, you're all messed up. You just want to just a recharge, and you're going to need a recharge tomorrow too. Don't, don't, be, don't be embarrassed. You're going to need a recharge this week. Would you just raise your hand up right now if you need a recharge? You just want to die with your boots on? You want to be that man of God? You want to be that woman of God? Lord, forgive me. My hand is up too, Lord. In Jesus' name, I so need to be stirred up. 
I so need to be encouraged. I'm right there, Lord. Raise up your hand if you just wanna die with your boots on. You wanna be God's son, be God's daughter, doing what God wants you to do in love and in mercy and in grace and in kindness, looking at other people saying, you are the beloved of God. He loves you. He loves me. He lo- the greatest commandment is that we love God and that would, be your, that would be your message. Raise up your hand if you just wanna be sweet, if you wanna be tender, and you also wanna be tough with those who need tough. Lord, my hand is up. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. You can put your hands down. And maybe you're here this morning. You say, you know what? I'm not sure if I'm even saved, Luke. Someone told me they were taking me to breakfast. I ended up here. They tricked me. I don't even know what's going on. But if all this is true, if the the elements are going to be burned away, and if Jesus did die like you say, and he did rise, and and he has been faithful, and he does love me, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and let him be my Savior and have him forgive me of my sins and have my life be lived for his glory and not my own. If that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and become his daughter, become his son, would you raise up your hand right now in Jesus' name and just say, yeah, I want to go all in. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see hands going up in Jesus' name, people confirming that they're saved. In Jesus' name, I see you. Absolutely. Amen. His patience has brought us this far. It's for you. He sees your hand, and more importantly, he sees your heart. He knows you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He thinks about you. He died for you. Lord, we honor you and we thank you for loving us. Help us to now love you. May we walk, Lord, out of this sanctuary with a lightness about our our step, Lord, and with a purpose in our direction. We love you. Thank you for all you've done. Uh, Bless me and my son Noah, Lord, after this next service as we head back out to staff camp that we would be a a fresh wind and a fresh... uh, spirit, Lord, to the uh, campers out there, and bless us as we go our way. We thank you for all you've done. Do more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.